Well, folks, Gonzaga basketball is back. Craziness in the kennel happened on Saturday. I gave us a look at some of the Zags for the very, very first time. We're going to discuss all of that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. All right, it's Mailbag Monday. I'm repping, for those of you on YouTube, I'm repping the Marco Gonzalez Seattle Mariners jersey. Shout out to the Mariners for not only making the playoffs for the first time in two decades, but also advancing past the Toronto Blue Jays. That game took place mere minutes before the start of craziness in the kennel. I know many of you out there were splitting your attention, watching the first practice for the Zags that's available to the media while also watching an extraordinarily exciting Mariners game. We're going to talk a bunch about craziness in the kennel. It's been a really long offseason handful of new players getting their first opportunity to really play. We also heard from Mark View. We heard from Drew Timmy. We heard from Anton Watson. We of course, we heard from Brian Michelson. That was a big one as well. Roger Powell. Just about everybody was giving us some tips, some feedback, a little bit of what's going on with this team. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's also Mailbag Monday. This is a reminder for new listeners. We haven't been doing Mailbag Monday as much over the off season. It's something we do every Monday during the season. If you want to ask a question, you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, a couple of ways for you to do that. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Andy Patton CBB. Whenever you are thinking of a question helps if you tag it Mailbag Monday, but even if you don't, pretty good chance that I'm going to save it and put it in my notes for the Monday episode. You can DM me. You can reach out on Twitter. You can reach out on the Locked On Zags Twitter account. You can also email me at andypatton013 at gmail.com. A lot of people ask questions this way. It's a great way to ask multiple questions, to ask questions throughout the week instead of waiting uh, until I post a tweet on Sunday mornings. Uh, so multiple different ways to get involved. Love Mailbag Monday. Love the feedback from you all. Love having an opportunity to answer your questions on the show. First segment here is mostly going to be about the guard rotation. Lots of questions about that. This first one comes from underscore Coach Dave on Twitter, who says... How does the news of Dom Harris being cleared impact the guard rotation? Yeah, so this was the big story that came out right before Craziness in the Kennel. Dom Harris tweeted an announcement that he has been cleared to return to practice on Monday. It was a good indication that he was not going to participate in the events on Saturday, which was the case. But he is cleared to practice. He is going to start full contact, full drills on Monday. That is the report that we heard from Dom himself. It was also confirmed by some of the coaches and players during some of the conversations with Greg Heister and Dan Dickow during Craziness in the Kennel. Uh, so this is great news. We didn't really know exactly where Dom was health-wise. Last year, he obviously missed the entire season with the foot injury. It was very devastating to not have him in the mix on last year's roster. It sounded like he was getting really close to returning at the end of last year before ultimately he didn't. Uh, so I'm a little surprised that there was still some kind of lingering stuff. This kind of injury seemed to just stick around for him for a while. But I think... The way that I read some of the stuff that Coach Few and Coach Michelson said during those conversations, and they're never going to give you too much, and it's not really worth it. This is going to be a theme of the episode, is you don't want to read too much into what happens at Craziness in the Kennel because it's, by and large, an event for the fans. But 
I do. I did get the sense that Dom's not necessarily going to. They're expecting it's going to take a while until he's got his legs under him, his conditioning, all that stuff. And it's understandable. Guards move a lot. And if he's been dealing with a foot injury, just getting back into bat. There's a difference between, you know, running on a treadmill and using a bike, which I'm guessing is what he's done a lot of versus playing basketball for 40 minutes at a time. And so it, it may take him a little bit of time. All this to say, I don't think Dom's going to be a prominent part of the basketball rotation early in the season. There's a part of me that's not sure he's even going to be a part of the rotation in a major capacity later in the season, just because this team is so loaded in the backcourt. If Dom doesn't start the year out in a significant role, which seems unlikely because he is still returning from this injury, and Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas both break out in the way that we expect them to as sophomores, and Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith both contribute the way we expect them to. Ross, we've already seen what that looks like with them. Malachi Smith, there's very little reason not to assume that he's going to be an excellent piece for the Zags this year. If those four guys are all playing really well, Julian Strother looks like a first-round pick. It's going to be hard for Dom to find an opportunity to play. That's not to say he's not good enough to play. It's just going to be tough for him to be in that spot. He's pre- he's already starting behind the sticks a little bit, not just because he didn't play last year, but because he's just now getting his legs back underneath him. So I don't expect Dominic Harris to move the needle super dramatically for the Zags early in the season. Perhaps as the year goes on, if some guys start to fade a little bit or, you know, heaven forbid there's an injury or anything like that, I think he's more than capable of of filling in and playing a significant role. He's a great defensive player, a good outside shooter. But I think that the beginning of the year is going to see him on the bench more often than not. Next question comes from Havila Benjamin on Twitter, who says, Marfew answered a question in the press conference about point guard play, saying it'd be more by committee this year rather than leaning so heavily on one guy like Nemhard last year. He mentioned that Hickman, Bolton, Smith, and even Salas might share the point. My question, what point guard situation do you think will facilitate the Zags team with its unique personnel and who will be the go-to at that position in close game situations down the stretch? I think it really depends on, on the development of Nolan Hickman. That's a huge hinge for this team this season. It has been... We've kind of known that it was going to be a big part of how this season shapes up. I don't have any reason to not feel like they're expecting him to be the guy. I think that Mark Few mentioning a couple other players who could play the point guard doesn't really mean all that much to me. I mentioned that was going to be the theme of the show. Here we go. We're already saying it. Of course, Rasir Bolton could, in theory, play point guard. He was a point guard at Iowa State for two years. When he came to Gonzaga before he played a game, there was a lot of conversation. Could Roz be the backup point guard or the number three point guard? Is he going to play point guard? Is that the role he's going to play? Season came, Bolton didn't play point guard. So him mentioning him again as another option to play point guard doesn't feel to me like something that, it doesn't mean that that's going to happen. Hunter Salas would be awesome if he was capable of playing the point guard. And maybe he is. I have no idea. Again, I don't see him being mentioned in this capacity as as an indication that there's concern about Hickman, there's concern about Smith, or that they're going to really try to have four different guys run the point guard. It's just that they have they have a lot of guards. They have a lot of guys who could, in theory, do it. I think Nolan Hickman and Malachi Smith are going to handle the vast majority of the minutes at the point guard position. I think if everything goes according to plan, Nolan Hickman's going to be the guy in the late game situations. He's going to be, be the guy in close game situations. He's going to be who they're relying upon. But it sure is nice to have guys like Malachi Smith and Rasir Bolton in case no one's not ready for that role. Next question comes from Dad Risk on Twitter, who says, Are you worried about Gonzaga's playmaking? 
Bolton, Strother, and Salas were, were play finishers last year, not play makers. And the way few answered the point guard situation cast doubt on Smith's ability to run much point if he's talking about Ross and Salas trying it. Point to me? Question mark. Yeah, so I kind of already touched on this, but I'm... I, Mark Few mentioning Rasier Bolton and Hunter Salas as potential point guards means virtually nothing to me. It doesn't, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't cast any concern about Malachi Smith's ability to play that position. It doesn't cast anything on Nolan Hickman's ability to play that position. I think it was just Mark Few naming the other guards on the roster who could, in theory, play point guard. I don't, I don't think that it's worth reading into really outside of that at all. In terms of playmaking ability, Gonzaga doesn't really rely on guard playmakers. That's not really an element of their offense. It hasn't been in a, in a while. Jalen Suggs was an outstanding playmaker, but even then, it, they, they didn't give him the ball and just let him go to work very often. That wasn't really an aspect of the game. Do you want to have guys who can go get a bucket on your roster? Yes, absolutely. Do the Zags not quite have that this year? I suppose I think Malachi Smith can probably be that guy, but he's not much of a facilitator. The only real facilitator on the roster is Nolan Hickman. You could argue that that is potentially concerning. I think Malachi Smith's going to impress us with his ability to do that more than he maybe had to at Chattanooga because he didn't have particularly talented teammates. Reminds me a bit of Ryan Woolridge in that way. Woolridge was not a great distributor at North Texas, but it's not because he couldn't pass. It's because his teammates weren't very good. Woolridge got to Gonzaga. Guess what? He looked like a true point guard. And he shot 40-something percent from deep. Malachi Smith could do the same thing. He's already a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. But if he's more open, he's got better teammates, he's more able to facilitate, run the offense, I think all of a sudden he's going to look a lot more like a playmaker than he maybe did during his time with the Mox. Final question of the first segment comes from Peter via Gmail. Peter says, after watching craziness in the kennel, it seems pretty clear to me that the starting five will be Hickman, Bolton, Smith, Strother, and Timmy. Will this be the best shooting percentage Gonzaga team ever? And will rebounding be a weak spot? What do you think? I think that making an automatic assumption about the starting lineup based on craziness in the kennel is a bit presumptuous, a, a bit early. This is, I will say this too. This is what I think the starting lineup is going to be as well. I agree with the assessment from Peter here that Hickman, Bolton, Smith, Strother, and Timmy is going to be the starting lineup. I don't know how we pulled that out of craziness in the kennel, an event that also featured walk-on Colby Brooks as a starter and had everybody play who was healthy. I don't know that there's necessarily anything to glean out of that. I do think this is probably the starting lineup, or at least four-fifths of the starting lineup, certainly. Will this team shoot well? I do think they're going to shoot well. We got another question about that later in the show, so I'm going to save some of that for that. Rebounding being a weak spot? Not really. I think that if they start a player like Strother at the four, which they've done in the past with Corey Kispert, I do think that it hampers their rebounding a little bit. But Julian Strother, very good rebounder. Malachi Smith, very good rebounder. Hunter Salas for a guard, very good rebounder. Efton Reed, Anton Watson, Drew Timmy, all good rebounders. Like, I don't think that this team is going to have a... I think bigger, really big physical teams, some of the teams they see in the non-conference might push them around a little bit more and, and be better at rebounding. They might have to adjust some of their lineups against teams like that. But I don't think that it's going to be an overly concerning issue for this team. There are some some issues. Rim protection is one that I've mentioned a handful of times. Uh, but I, rebounding specifically isn't something I'm that concerned about. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to answer more listener-submitted questions, more about the front court in segment two. We'll talk Efton Reed. We'll talk a little Caden Perry as well. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Simply Safe. The numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe home security to protect their homes. You don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. 
At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. They protect you with cutting-edge security technology powered by 24/7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. With 24/7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or can't be reached. Simply Safe blankets your home in protection with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door. HD security cameras for inside and outside your home and smarter ways to detect motion that only alert you when a threat is real. Even hazard sensors that instantly detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash locked on college to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, segment number two. So, any patents still locked on Zags? Want to thank all of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen or watch of the day. Again, we're trying to get to a thousand subscribers before the start of the season. We're here. Craziness is back. I know that the momentum for Gonzaga basketball is huge right now. If you are listening to this and you haven't done so yet. Go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. You can see me repping the Seattle Mariners jersey if you want to. Very, very much appreciated. All right, next question here in segment two comes from JW on Twitter who says, Why did Caden only play six minutes? Will we ever know the severity of his back issues? I feel bad for the kid. Two separate questions here. Uh, will we ever know the severity of his back issues? Personally, probably not. No, I, I don't expect to. I don't expect fans to. Uh, I expect Caden Perry and his family and the staff to be the only people who really have a full grasp on that because it's just not really public information. I'm kind of a staunch. I, I have a strong belief that players should not disclose medical information to fans unless they really have to. I, it's just it's just personal information. Uh, having said that, this was a 20-minute scrimmage. I think it's important to note that six minutes out of 20 minutes is different than six minutes out of a full 40-minute scrimmage. Uh, I, I'm not reading too much into the playing time here. It is notable that Caden played less minutes than the majority of, of players who, who really played. Like Braden Huff played nine and a half minutes in this game. Abe Eagle and Kellen Mitchell, the walk-ons, they played more minutes than this. Uh, they, or they, they did, Excuse me, they didn't play more minutes than this. But they played, they're the only players who played less minutes than Caden Perry, I should say. I will also say that the staff made it clear that Caden Perry is cleared. Both Mark Few and Brian Michelson mentioned that Caden Perry was back at practice before Dominic Harris. Dom's first practice is Monday. As you're listening to this, probably the first day he's practicing full contact with the team. Caden Perry returned last week. He has been practicing fully cleared for at least a week as you're listening to this. So I think he's ready to go. I think his minutes might have just been that, I mean, frankly, he didn't play very well in the scrimmage. I, using plus minus in a, in a six-minute sample size in a blue versus white scrimmage game is probably one of the most ludicrous things I've ever done, so I apologize in advance. But Caden was a minus nine in six minutes of action in this scrimmage game. He didn't play particularly well. He missed a free throw. He just, he's still very raw. I don't think that Caden Perry's health is a significantly contributing factor to his playing time at the moment. Obviously, his health last year impacted his ability to get a full year's worth of, of reps under his belt. He missed practices. He missed some of those game opportunities he would have gotten. So clearly the injury is impacting him. But I don't think that if he doesn't play very much at the beginning of the year, 
I don't think it's because of an injury. I think it's because he's pretty low on the depth chart. I think right now there's an argument. He might he may be ahead of Braden Huff, who who looked pretty rough in this scrimmage game and a little rough in some of the drills as well. Uh, there's a chance that just with an extra year of experience and having been in college and being a different type of player, that he's ahead of Braden on the depth chart. But I, I, he's behind Ben Gregg. I think Ben looked excellent in the scrimmage game. And there was some really positive comments from Brian Michelson about his performance, about how he looks as a basketball player right now. So I, I think Cade is, is pretty squarely outside of the rotation and may not climb into the rotation at any point this season, regardless of how healthy he is. Next question comes from at spring 28 on Twitter, who says, since there's a lot of guard questions, do you see Efton Reed carving out significant minutes playing with Drew Timmy and not just subbing in for him? Yeah, I love when people notice what the questions are and ask different questions. That's always appreciated. So thank you for that. Uh, the Drew Timmy and Efton Reed playing together question is perhaps the thing I'm most fascinated about heading into the season. Quite, quite honestly, I, I'm excited to see what, what Malachi Smith looks like in a, in a different role. I'm excited to see... A whole bunch of things about how this guard rotation is going to shake out. Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas in year two. But whether Drew Timmy and Efton Reed play together is something I'm really interested in. On paper, it doesn't look like it makes a lot of sense. Not because of who they are as players, but because of where Gonzaga's depth is. We've talked about it already a bunch in the first segment. The Zags have a ton of guard depth to the point where they're going to play four guards at a time, depending on how you classify Julian Strother. And I think that there's... There's not a lot of room for for twin tower lineups, for two big lineups. I just don't see many situations where it makes a lot of sense. That doesn't mean that it won't happen at all. My general prediction is that Efton, the majority, the vast majority of Efton Reed's minutes are going to come when Drew Timmy is on the bench. I just I think it's most likely that Drew comes out, Efton comes in. I think Anton will play some minutes at the five as well. I think there's a chance Ben or Caden play some minutes at the five as well, although I think Ben is more of a four and Caden is is still pretty raw right now. But I think that most of the minutes at the five are going to be Drew, Timmy, and Efton Reed, and there's not going to be a lot of opportunities where they play together. Next question is on a similar kind of Topic. So I'm going to move into that one now. This one came from Sam via Twitter DM. Sam said, after watching the craziness scrimmage, I was very impressed by all of our guards. It seems like it'll be hard to not play a three guard lineup with Strother at the four, which means generally only having one big man on the floor. Between Anton Watson and Efton Reed, who do you think will get more minutes behind Drew Timmy? Does one of those players get pushed out of the rotation? And could one of them play the five if we move Timmy to the four? And who do you predict that being? Yeah, so this, again, the kind of a lot of what I was already talking about in that previous question, I'll kind of expand on it a little bit more here. Uh, I think most of most of the minutes of the five that don't go to Drew Timmy are going to go to Efton Reed, like I already said. I think that that, I think those two guys soak up, you know, on average 39 of the 40 minutes per game at the five. Maybe they do some, a few lineups where Ben Gregg's playing the five. Maybe they have a few lineups, of some really small, very athletic lineups where Anton's playing the five, Julian's playing the four, and then you have three of your guards in the game at the same time. I do think that there are a couple of different options. I don't think either of these guys are going to be out of the rotation. I think that the big man rotation is primarily going to be those three guys, Drew Timmy, Anton Watson, Efton Reed, kind of splitting two spots, although sort of also only splitting one spot where Reed's the backup to Timmy. Watson is kind of the backup to Strother, but he ends up playing more because Strother slides down and plays the three in certain lineups. I do think we're going to see that. I think Watson plays 18 to 20-ish minutes per game, which is basically exactly what he has done every single season in his career up to this point. 
I think Reed plays more like 12 to 15 minutes per game, depending on if Drew Timmy is playing well or in foul trouble or gassed or what the score is, all those factors that obviously impact substitution patterns right there. And then I think we, we I don't want to forget about Ben Gregg either. I mentioned earlier in a question that, that Ben really impressed at the at the craziness in the kennel, he looked really good there. But Brian Michelson had some really nice things to say about how he's gotten stronger, he's gotten leaner, he's gotten better, and they they really believe he's ready to contribute. So I, I kind of mentioned that you got to take some of what the coaches say with a grain of salt. But when coaches are repeatedly complimentary of a player, especially when they don't have to be, it's not like the staff was begging them for up or the staff the the. The announcing crew, it's not like Greg and, and Dan Dickow were begging Brian Michelson for updates on Ben Gregg. They mentioned him, and Michelson launched into this kind of monologue about how good he's been, about how hard he's working. So when coaches are willing to do that, I think that's the kind of thing you want to pay attention to. For me, if I was going to take only one thing out of craziness in the kennel uh, that was just a comment about a player, it was how how complimentary they were of Ben Gregg. That to me stood out in a significant way and is a significant factor for how this big man rotation is going to work this season. Final question for segment number two here comes from Anthony Azanar on Twitter, who says, is the free throw shooting a concern? Well, not, not from what I saw at craziness. No, I'm not sure if the question is referring to like, are we concerned about the free throw shooting because they looked bad at craziness in the kennel? In which case, no, that doesn't really, that doesn't move the needle for me. Yeah, they had some, they, they did a skills challenge. Braden Huff missed a bunch of free throws in a row. Anton Watson missed a couple free throws in a row. Even Julian missed a couple free throws in a row. Uh, but they're just out there having fun, joking around with their teammates. Like, this is not something that they're taking seriously, at, nor should it be something that they take all that seriously. They were trying to win in the scrimmage. Like, they weren't, you know, completely laughing it off. But especially the skills challenge, Eh, no, I'm not really concerned about that. Should free throw shooting just by and large be a concern? Eh, maybe. I, I'm not thrilled about where their free throw shooting is right now. The big man rotation uh, with Drew Timmy, Efton Reed, Anton Watson, none of those guys are great free throw shooters, quite frankly. And that's going to be a potential issue for this team. I think there are going to be some some hack-a-Timmy situations. He's a little bit better. Watson and Reed are probably going to be bad free throw shooters. They're also not going to be counted on so dramatically on offense that it's going to matter. Like, I don't want to say that rudely, but like, I don't think that Anton Watson's free throw shooting is unlikely to be a, a significant deterrent for this team just because his role is on defense. It's not necessarily what he does with the basketball in his hands. The guards are pretty good. We'll have to see what it looks like with Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman in year two. Uh, Rasir Bolden's been a fantastic free throw shooter his entire career. So ultimately, no, I don't think free throw shooting is going to be this big, significant problem for the Zags. But it's also been it's been an issue for him in the past. So it's definitely not something you want to ignore either. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third and final segment. We're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions, talking bench depth, talking outside shooting. But before we do that... I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but college football and the NFL are in full swing while the MLB playoffs are now underway as well. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, 
where the game starts. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're still answering listener-submitted questions all episode long for Mailbag Monday. So happy Mailbag Monday is back. Next question here comes from at Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says, Assuming Julian Rasier and Smith all have a good three-point shooting season, Andrew attempts more threes, do you think the Zags have a chance to finish in the top 25 in three-point attempts and makes? Yeah, I mean, I, if we're if we're making a, like a lot of assumptions about this, then I think it's possible. But I th- the offense is always going to funnel into the paint. The Zags have two primary modes on offense: fast break transition offense, which is where they really excel. They love to get out in transition. They love to run. It's why you know Arizona's become Gonzaga South because Tommy Lloyd kind of took that same strategy and adapted it to a Power Five program in Arizona. So you're going to see the Zags. They're going to get out. Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton are going to be excellent transition guards. This is something that both of them have a tremendous strength for. Hunter Salas is a freak athlete, extraordinarily athletic kid. He is going to be a wrecking ball in transition when he's given those opportunities to be that. And then when the Zags are in a half-court offense, their offense funnels through the bigs. It always had. The usage rate for Gonzaga Biggs is so high. I remember John Fanto was on the podcast a couple months ago talking about the Gonzaga just in general. We talked a little bit about the Gonzaga to Big East rumors. And Fanto mentioned like that what transfer big wouldn't want to go to Gonzaga. Like you you get the you know that the usage rates are going to be so high. The development of big men has been so good. And I, I don't see that changing. Certainly not while Drew Timmy's on the roster. It's just not going to change. So when the Zags come down the floor in any half court set, their first goal is not to shoot a three. Their first goal is to get the ball into the paint. That doesn't mean they're not going to shoot a lot of threes. It doesn't mean they're not going to make a lot of threes. Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton both have the very distinct possibility of shooting over 45% from deep. Both of them could do it. And Julian Strother could do it too. There's no reason to believe he's not capable of improving his three-point percentage from 39, which is what it was last year, especially after slumping towards the end of the year. He could get up in the 40-something percent range as well. I don't know that I'm going to be betting on the Zags having three guys shooting over 45%, but three guys over 40, three guys over 38, yeah, that could absolutely happen. And those guys are going to get a decent amount of shots. So top 25, definitely doable. Likely, I just, I Gonzaga doesn't like to rely on the three all that much, so I don't think that we're going to see this huge uptick in attempts to the point where they're all the way up in that range. But it's, I think they're going to be a really good three-point shooting team, and I think it's going to be a big part of what makes them what makes them so good this year. Next question comes from Julie via Gmail. Julie says, "Is Colby Brooks a thing? Yeah, Colby Brooks a thing. Col- Colby Brooks uh, had a really really nice performance for the Zags during the craziness in the kennel. He started." Uh, for one of the teams, uh, Colby is one of the walk-ons. He's been on the program for the last couple of years, has played zero minutes of actual basketball for the Zags in part because there's a limit to how many guys you can travel. There's a limit to how many guys you can dress every game. The Zags have had a lot of walk-ons recently. Will Graves, Matthew Lang were both guys who, who got opportunities to actually play last year. Will Graves is now at Southern Oregon with his final year of eligibility. Matthew Lang is at Arizona hanging out with Tommy Lloyd and his, I believe, final year of eligibility as well. Those two guys are out the door. That clears up some more playing time for some other walk-ons. Colby Brooks seems like the likely beneficiary for that. Uh, he looked awesome. And I think watching the scrimmage, I'm sure there are some people who thought he looked like, like he could legitimately play on this team. 
I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far. I think he could play a, a Will uh, Will Graves, Matthew Lang kind of role. I think if he, they absolutely needed him because of multiple injuries or some catastrophic five overtime game where everybody fouled out, something like that. Like, yeah, he can play. He's a big bodied guy. He's very athletic. He played AAU ball with guys who are high level college one or division one college basketball players like the dude is is good. And I think if nothing else, he's a reminder that the talent level between you know, number one and number 12 on a roster like Gonzaga's is minuscule. I mean, it's tiny. It's tiny how big that difference is. And I think when you talk to players and you talk to coaches who don't really, they, they don't do what we do, which is read all the rankings. And this guy was ranked 40th in his class. And this guy was only ranked 60th in his class or whatever. Like we, we may evaluate that stuff as, as fans or as content creators or, or whatever, but like players don't concern themselves with this. And when you are up in practice, like, yeah, you know, the Gonzaga teammates know that Colby Brooks hasn't played the last two years. It's not like they're unaware of it, but they also know how freaking good he is. And I think it's it's a nice reminder for us that like, yeah, we may think of this guy as like, oh, he's not anywhere close to as good as those guys because he never plays. And it's like, yeah, he he's not as good as Julian Strother, but like, don't tell him that and, or don't watch him play one-on-one because it's going to look a lot closer than you might think that it is. And I think that that's kind of a, a fun element of this. And and why craziness is so cool is you get an opportunity to see a guy like Colby Brooks play 17 minutes and and, and look really good doing it. Two more questions before we round out the episode. This one is another one from Jacob Quarter 2. He says, which Zag not in your projected starting lineup needs to have a great year in order for the Zags to win the national championship? This is pretty simple. Um, I mean, I'm not going to cop out entirely and say all of them, but the Zags need nine players to have great years to win a championship. Eight is the absolute minimum, I think, but frankly, you probably need nine guys to to have the best seasons or close to the best seasons of their careers if you want to win a national championship. You look at that 2020-2021 team that went to the national championship game. Basically, everybody had career years. Basically, all of them. And that's that's what you need to do in order to win a championship. So for the Zags, if my projected starting lineup is the one I referenced earlier, which was Hickman, Bolton, Smith, Strother, and Timmy, then that means that Hunter Salas needs to have a career year. That means Anton Watson, Efton Reed, Dominic Harris. That's your nine-man rotation right there, assuming health for everybody there. Ben Gregg, very possibly in that conversation as well. Maybe it's a 10-man rotation. Maybe it's a soft nine. Maybe Dom, who knows if he's kind of in there right at the beginning. But basically, all those guys need to have big years. I think if I, if I was going to focus on one player in particular, it would be Hunter Salas. I think if Hunter's not starting this year, he's going to play a huge role off the bench, 20-ish minutes per game, maybe more. Maybe he creeps into the starting lineup if things go well. Uh, His defense on the perimeter, his high-level athleticism, his growing outside shooting, if those things all show up, that's going to be a huge benefit to the Zags and their quest for a national championship. Final question of the show comes from John via Gmail. John says, I am worried about the 23-24 season. We have only one recruit lined up in Dusty Stromer after only getting one freshman for the upcoming season in Braden Huff. I realize we recruited both Efton Reed and Malachi Smith in the transfer market. And of course, Timmy Strother and Bolton have all returned. But one freshman recruit for each class is concerning, especially that we will be likely losing a huge chunk of our roster next season. I've heard us link to Alex Tui from Australia, but the 2023 class is not considered a very good class. So given all the potential losses, can you shed some light on whether you are concerned about how the 23-24 season is shaping up? Yeah, you kind of answered it when you talked about Malachi Smith and Efton Reed. I, I think concern about future rosters is just not something that really exists for me anymore. I don't think that looking at the number of recruits 
that a team is bringing in as any kind of barometer for what their future roster is going to look like. It's just not how it works anymore. It's just it's just kind of an outdated way to look at it, quite frankly. Gonzaga is not building their roster based on high school recruits. They're, they're very clearly not doing that. This year's roster, the only player they brought in is Braden Huff. He is not going to be a contributor to this team this year. It is not going to happen. Dusty Stromer will probably be a contributor as a freshman, but that is not always the case. And Gonzaga, Mark Few's not getting younger. He's not trying to continue to build a program. He's trying to win a championship. That doesn't mean he's not trying to do the first part either, but the player development piece, the getting high schoolers and watching them grow and develop into highly talented players, like that's a great thing and something that Mark Few has done better than just about any coach in the entire country. But right now they're trying to win a championship. And if you can go get a guy like Malachi Smith and you can bring him onto your team and he's eligible immediately, he can play right away. And instead of being, hey, that guy averaged 20 points per game in, you know, at the, on the AAU circuit, he played well at Peach Jam, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You can say that guy averaged 20 points in the SOCON. He was the best player in a basketball conference full of Division I basketball players. I would rather have that guy who's 22, who's immediately eligible, who can play right away. I would rather have that guy on a team that's trying to win a national championship than even a top 50 guard. Some of the guards that they were looking at in 2022, some of the guards they were looking at in 2023, Wesley Yates, would have been an awesome addition. Went to the University of Washington. Bummer. I I thought Gonzaga had a chance. He canceled his visit there. It kind of seemed obvious he wasn't going to show up. Ended up going to UW. He's cousins with Quincy Quincy Pondexter, former UW player and assistant over there. Like, I get it. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But like Mark Few, would he want, did he want Wesley Yates? Absolutely. But he's going to go find another guard who's in the SOCON or who's in a different conference. And they're going to be a Zag next year. That's what's going to happen. And that's, to me, that's better. And, there, and as long as the rules don't change, there's no reason to not continue to try to build your roster that way. So the, that's a long-winded way for me to say that how many recruits are committed for future years is not something that I'm remotely concerned about, in part because I'm focused on the upcoming season. But beyond that, like, we don't know how many people are going to leave. Like you said, well, we'll most likely be losing Timmy, Strother, Watson, etc. Yeah, Strother, most likely gone. Drew Timmy, most likely gone. Both could return most likely gone. Anton Watson, same situation, could in theory return. We know Rasir Bolton can't return. That's about it. That's about it. I think much more than just Rasir Bolton is going to leave next year. But I think that right now with these COVID years, I think that's another factor too, is that the high school classes were harder to evaluate, harder to recruit because they had these weird COVID years. And that's not these high schoolers fault, but it is a fact that they were more difficult to evaluate, more difficult to pin down, you know, which of these players can really help us, which of them are more projects, et cetera. So when that's more difficult, when the rules allow you to go get transfers, and bring them to your team immediately, and they're immediately eligible. When Gonzaga's track record for bringing in transfers and having them fill a role on the roster is dang near a thousand percent, when they do that at an extraordinarily high clip, why change it? Why do anything different? I think it's I, the Zags have some irons in the fire for 2023. They have some irons in the fire for 2024. We just found out one of the other players who was sitting near Dusty Stromer at Craziness in the Kennel as they recruit in the class of 2025. More on him later in the week. So the Zags are still attempting to find some of these guys. But ultimately, for me, 
I have so little concern about the future of the program because of this, because there's so many other ways to build a roster in the modern college basketball game. And, and the Zags have proven to be very, very good at doing it that way. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Great week for content this week. Plenty of player previews coming your way. We're going to talk some recruiting all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Uh, podcast links are also available on Twitter at Locked On Zags and on my personal Twitter account at Andy Patton CBB. Go follow that if you haven't done so yet. Finally, Thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!